Welcome to the second season of SeaTech Voices, The Risk Perspective, the podcast that brings you expert insights to today's hot topics in healthcare cybersecurity, compliance, and privacy. Each episode of The Risk Perspective Season 2 features an inside listen into the conversations between SeaTech thought leaders, subject matter experts, and industry guest speakers who share their trusted risk expertise and perspectives. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. New episodes are released weekly, and a transcript of each episode can be found at Synergistic.com. And now for the show. Hello, I'm Lauren Frickle. Welcome back to The Risk Perspective. You're listening to part two of our two-part series on mergers and acquisitions. Part one focused on privacy and security considerations around M&A transactions. And this episode, part two, will focus on M&A compliance considerations. Joining us today are two synergistic compliance experts, Marty Arvin and Andrew Mahler. Welcome, Marty and Andrew. Thank you, Lauren. Happy to be here. And this is such a hot topic right now, given the anticipation of increased mergers and acquisitions during the the COVID transition. My name is Marty Arvin. I am an executive advisor at Synergistic, and I've been with the company about four years. Prior to that, I spent 18 years as chief compliance or chief compliance and privacy officer, and I've been involved in several mergers and acquisitions and transactions, both from the good point of view and the bad point of view. And I'll expand on that as we go through the podcast. Andrew? Thank you, Marty and Lauren. It's really a pleasure to be speaking with you today. My name is Andrew Mahler, and I'm the Senior Manager of Privacy Services for Synergist Tech. Privacy Services includes all of our managed professional and consulting services, such as our compliance program effectiveness assessments. I've served in privacy and research compliance officer roles for universities and academic medical centers, and have had opportunities to support organizations through the merger process. Prior to that work, I was an investigator for the Office for Civil Rights, and I managed cases related to HIPAA and other civil rights laws. So, Marty, what are some general questions an organization should ask when they're initiating a merger or an acquisition that any compliance person should be asking? Thanks, Andrew. I think one of the key questions or the key things to understand is a little bit about the organization's risk tolerance or what their risk appetite is. Because if the risk appetite is pretty high, meaning they will accept a fair amount of risk, what you're going to look for in evaluating that entity you're acquiring or merging with is going to be a little bit different than if that risk appetite is a little lower. So it will be extremely helpful to understand sort of where the organization is as far as that appetite goes, because that will then help guide you as you go into a little more detailed processes and evaluate in more detail some of the areas for that, again, that company you're either merging with or going to acquire. And in your experience, Marty, who tends to be asking the questions and who might have some of the answers to those questions around risk appetite and and tolerance? That's really going to likely be your senior leadership, but I think the other piece compliance professionals in particular need to be aware of is if you don't feel confident your leadership has a strong sense of what some of the risk could be, then you're going to also need to guide them on that risk appetite because they may not think they need to look in certain areas or do a deeper dive into certain issues. And I always viewed it as part of my role as a chief compliance officer to help make sure leadership 
leadership was aware of what some of those risks are. So that if they made a choice of not diving deeper, then that was because it was an informed choice. They knew there were potential risks there, but they made the choice not to take a deeper look anyway. So um, people involved are going to be, from my perspective, the chief compliance officer. We talked a little bit on the other podcast about the chief privacy officer, the chief information security officer. Those are some of the key players when you think about who's going to be involved in this and who's going to be having those conversations with senior leadership. Thanks, Marnie. So when we're thinking about mergers and acquisitions, uh, you know, I know one phrase that really comes to mind for most people is the issue of due diligence. And I'm wondering from your, you know, your background, experience, and perspective, what sorts of due diligence do companies typically perform when they're thinking about a merger or acquisition? Well, one of the things I find interesting in that perspective, Andrew, is they'll talk about evaluating the financials from a due diligence perspective, but it isn't always the kind of dive that compliance professional might want to take. And what I mean by that is they'll look to see whether the accounts receivable look healthy, meaning there isn't a high volume of the accounts receivable that's in long term has been sitting out there for 90 plus days. But they don't always do an assessment of the actual services that make up that accounts receivable, meaning they don't do any sort of auditing and monitoring and they don't check the documentation and determine whether it's actually supported. Another thing they don't always look at are what the organization is doing around Stark and anti-kickback. And and again, if you think about looking at this and ensuring that services are properly documented so that there's not a risk that if the government comes in later or you do a compliance review after the acquisition is closed, that you're going to end up paying some of that money back. If you're valuing accounts receivable at a certain figure, you want to have some confidence that that is the true figure. And if you do an assessment and realize that there are problems with that, that definitely might change the perspective of whether or not you want to acquire that organization or what you're actually going to pay for that organization if you start to understand that that accounts receivable, for example, is is very strong versus that accounts receivable has some risk associated with it. And again, looking at things like Stark and anti-kickback, just interviewing the compliance officer perhaps or legal or whoever handles that type of compliance concern and making sure that there's a good process for ensuring compliance in those areas. And then perhaps even doing some testing to make sure the process is actually being followed because people can describe a very strong process, but if you don't actually pull the curtain back and and look a little closer to make sure the process is being followed and you simply rely on that description, then I think that could be problematic. Have you had a similar experience, Andrew? Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you, you, use the phrase pull the curtain back and and I think for a lot of people that that are navigating this process from a compliance perspective there probably is quite a bit of that pulling the curtain back so they're you know they're looking to see exactly what's going on they're looking to learn as much as they can about the other organization the other key players the other stakeholders because sometimes those can be unknown uh, variables so in in my experience you know i was fortunate enough to participate in uh, in conversations around uh, a merger and uh, acquisition process and one of the challenges that we had is we didn't really realize we were operating in a vacuum until it was a little too late and by that i mean we were 
you know, behind our own curtain, we were looking at our own processes and we were thinking through from a compliance or from a privacy perspective, what would work best for us? And and we weren't really taking that extra step to get to know the key stakeholders, get to know the other mission, vision, and structure of the other organization. And, I, you know, while ultimately I think everything worked really well, in hindsight, I think we could have done things even more efficiently and, and more collaboratively had we done a bit more of that pulling back the curtain to see what's happening behind the scenes. And Marty, I've got a, a follow-up question for you too. You, you mentioned legal. When you're thinking through the, the conversation around due diligence and, and the diligence work that needs to be performed, would you be able to share any thoughts or experiences that you've had related to how a compliance officer or a compliance office interacts with whether it's general counsel working for the organization or outside counsel? You know, I think the compliance officer hopefully is involved from the beginning. I've certainly had experiences where that wasn't the case and they were pretty far down the pathway of doing the deal. And then I got involved and started asking some questions and it was a little uncomfortable because they hadn't really considered a number of things, but the deal was so far along that they had to make a judgment call and say, well, we don't know this. It's an unknown. We're going to proceed with the deal anyway. And so, you know, it's making sure that A, you're involved from the beginning and that hopefully you already have a very collaborative relationship with your in-house counsel or if you only use external counsel with that external counsel. Because they're, in my experience, the ones that tend to be leading the process. So they're doing a lot of work around what the documents are going to say. And that ties back into the due diligence. You don't know how much you're going to pay for the entity you're acquiring until you really can determine how much it's worth. And until you do the due diligence piece and really look at their practices and processes and really understand them, it's a little difficult to value that entity. And organizations might make the decision, for example, they're not going to really audit the AR. They're just going to, you know, look at the aging perhaps of the AR, but they're not going to actually look at documentation, look at coding and billing, uh, look at things like what's the denial volume for the organization or things of that nature. But as long as they do it in an informed way, and what I mean by that is the leadership that's making the final decision to complete this merger or acquisition or not understands what the risks are and they're taking that into account. I've certainly had experiences where I've not agreed with legal counsel and I've suggested maybe doing a more in-depth review of something and legal counsel has recommended not doing that, but leadership understood what the risks were that I was asking them to evaluate and they made a choice not to. And you know, as long as they made that as an informed decision, then I felt like I had done my work because I think this is one of the challenging areas for compliance professionals. You have to be willing and able to step back and say, I gave leadership all the information they needed to make the decision. And whether they make a decision that you think is the most appropriate or not, that's not really your call. That's their call. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, as we said on the first podcast, if you're doing your due diligence well, it is going to uncover issues and problems. It's really making the decision on how are you going to handle those problems? Are you going to mitigate the risk, i.e. make some different 
structure are you going to require the, the the entity being acquired to carry some liability after the deal is closed are they going to have to put funds in escrow for you know some period of time after the deal closes just to account for the potential say that you have to pay claims back or something of that nature or is the risk that you've uncovered so great that people are just going to decide to walk away from the deal those are conversations that I think are important to have with legal counsel and hopefully have that collaborative, open, symbiotic relationship with legal counsel so they know where you're coming from, you know where they're coming from, and you can each then advise leadership in your respective roles on how to move forward with that merger or acquisition. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting, Marty, something that I've as I've been listening to you, something that's been coming up for me is just the importance of communication. And, you know, when I think about some of the experiences you shared, as well as some of my experiences, I I think we both know it's true that outside counsel can, you know, is oftentimes, you know, driving that ship or driving the bus through the merger acquisition process. And communication is really vital to make sure that everybody's on the same page internally and leadership is, like you said, is is aware of the risks and is able to assess them with information and with knowledge that, that a compliance office can bring. So with that in mind, one thing I'm wondering is, you know, just maybe over the past few years, I'm wondering if you've seen any changes in uh, in the focus regarding compliance or maybe the focus of other chief compliance officers you've met when they are thinking through or working through a, a due diligence process. I think the one thing that I've seen is they're involved more often than what I experienced, you know, if you think about 15, 20 years ago. Uh, And I think that's in part because mergers and acquisitions have increased so substantially in healthcare. And, you know, that goes back to something you made me think of, I wanted to comment on uh, when you talk about counsel. And that's just making sure and working with the organization in discussing who they're hiring as outside counsel, because there can be people who have had a lot of experience in mergers and acquisitions, but perhaps not a depth of experience in mergers and acquisitions in healthcare. And the questions are a little bit different and the the risks are slightly different in the healthcare arena than in other types of acquisitions. So you have to think through and, and make sure that you're, you've got a seat at the table as the compliance officer so you can articulate some of those concerns you may have. And again, let the organization address them in the way that your leadership thinks is most appropriate. The good news is compliance tends to be at the table from the beginning as opposed to having a merger or acquisition be you know, discussed and talked about for several months and then suddenly someone thinks, oh, perhaps compliance you know, might have some input or relevance here. Right. Something, you know, that's coming up for me is I'm thinking about some of the compliance professionals I've met, you know, at conferences or or at, at other organizations who might have a little bit of hesitancy or might feel a little timid jumping into this process. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or encouragement or words of wisdom for a compliance officer who would say to you, Marty, what you're describing sounds like an ideal situation, but at my organization, I don't really feel comfortable weighing in on these decisions. I think this is really the role of counsel and and leadership. I don't really know what my role here in this process actually is. I would ask them to think about what their role is in ensuring an effective compliance program. 
because part of ensuring an effective compliance program, it, the whole idea of it is helping to mitigate risk for the organization. And I should say to both identify and mitigate risk. And the mergers and acquisition process is just another extension of that. It, it's supporting the organization in making sure they can identify the risk and they understand the risk. And if you think through, you know, what your legal counsel is doing, some of them I've worked with are very knowledgeable in billing and coding questions, others not so much so. So they they understand what you're talking about when you talk about actually doing an audit of the accounts receivable of that entity you're acquiring, but they couldn't actually do it. So that may be part of your role as well. You may be providing that expertise that legal counsel just doesn't have. They don't have that depth. And, and that's not saying anything against the legal counsel I've worked with. They've all been phenomenal, but they just don't have that expertise. And that's part of what you can bring to the table too. And if that's not something you see as your role in your organization, I would say you might want to go back to your leadership and really talk with them about what your role is and helping them understand that part of why they've got you there is, is for that very expertise that you bring to the table every day in your compliance program and can bring to the table as it relates to the merger and acquisition. So in your experience, how can third parties help in this process? Well, that goes back to my comments a moment ago about expertise. That's one thing to think about. There might not be the actual expertise within your compliance department to look at this. And the other thing is your compliance department may not have the resourcing to do it, meaning they have the expertise, but with everything else on their plate, they actually don't have the capability to do it as a result of that. And so you need to think about, you know, when you might want to use third-party experts for doing an assessment. Another thing to think about using third parties for is just that independence and objectivity. If there's a question around, is this really being done correctly and you have one side or the other doing it, then there could be some question about, well, that wasn't really an independent objective assessment of what our accounts receivable looks like, what our stark anti-kickback processes are, what our, our conflict of interest processes are, whatever compliance process or activity it might be, then you, you, know, you might not see people viewing it as independent and objective if one party or the other is doing it. And that's another area where I think third parties can come into play. You can say, we had this evaluated by XYZ third party that is an expert in this field, and here was were their thoughts. And it may be they looked at it and said, hey, this is a great process. It, maybe they looked at it and said, hey, we have some red flags going up here. But again, it all ties back to what we've been talking about throughout this podcast. The due diligence process should uncover issues. That's the whole intent of it. And it really is creating that information for your leadership on what the issues are, what the risks are, and making sure they can make an informed decision about how they're gonna handle those risks. So whether it's mitigating the risk or putting aside that escrow account I mentioned a few minutes ago, or it's simply saying, you know, we're not gonna do this deal now because what we've uncovered is just not something we're comfortable with. So I, I think when you look at compliance and their involvement in M&A transactions, they are a key player that should always be at the table and be part of the discussion. And 
work with the opposite side, as you mentioned, Andrew, have strong communication there, work in a very collaborative way with legal counsel, who's going to have a very significant role in this, and as appropriate, work with those third parties. So I, I think there's definitely a strong role for compliance here. And if you're not at the table for the M&A that work that your organization is doing, figure out a way to get yourself to the table because it's just so critical and you can bring so much to the discussion as a compliance professional. So Lauren, I, I think we, we've talked that topic out. Any closing remarks? I think that's it. Great compliance-based input and insights, Marty and Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us. That concludes our series on mergers and acquisitions. You can find this episode along with part one on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform. Also, please remember to subscribe and or like The Risk Perspective. Thanks for listening.